Hello and welcome back for episode 28 of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. In this episode, I'm with Dr. Ryan Nolan, DMD, dentist, dental material scientist, and host of the Biofilm Factor Podcast. We talk about various dental materials that he has been working on and developing and plans on developing in the future. We talk about uh, adhesive dentistry and also talk about his, uh, his journey from dental school into getting into where he is now. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and before we move on and start the episode, I just wanted to talk about a few things that I have been working on. Um, I did an interview with uh, Dr. Ivan Chichon, uh, who is a surgical prosthodontist and uh, runs the Instagram page, um, Implant Ninja. Uh, we got talking about implants and my you know desire to get into implants and start placing implants as an associate, and uh, he told me about a course that he's been working on, which is quite exciting. So his course, um, the Implant Ninja implant course is uh, available through uh, online uh, through his website, uh, which I will put in the show notes. And the course is starting in September the 6th. So it should coming out in a couple weeks. And uh, I'm excited to try it out. I uh, hope to be sharing my experiences with you guys as I go through the course. Um, it is meant to be a comprehensive course, you know, implants from A to Z, uh, including homework assignments to make sure you're staying on track. Um, and he has some uh, you know, faculty, some other, you know, uh, surgical uh, prosthodontists, some other surgeons uh, covering components of the course as well. So I'm excited to check it out. I will share my experiences with you guys so you guys can see what it's like as well. And uh, hopefully you check it out as well. Um, If you're interested in implants, I think it's a good way to kind of get going and get started um, at a reasonable price. So um, as you can check out his page, uh, Implant Ninja on Instagram for updates. And I'll be posting some updates to my story and uh, page as well. And um, I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, the podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, um, the podcast app on iPhone and Stitcher on Android. So please make sure you check it out. Check out the previous episodes if you haven't heard them already. And uh, just reach out to me on Instagram. I love hearing from you guys. I love hearing feedback. And um, it just helps me you know, see what you guys like and don't like so we can grow the podcast even for quicker. So without further ado, please enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, the safe place for newbie dentists to connect, collaborate, learn, and grow. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to provide high-quality and high-value content for all the newbie dentists out there. With your host, Dr. Omid Azami. All right, so Ryan, if you don't mind, uh, we'll kind of start off with a bit of an origin story for you. Uh, sure. So you can kind of take us back um, to sort of like why you know, decided to pursue dentistry in the first place um, and sort of like that transition into den- dental school. Um, and then we'll kind of take things from there. So I am a bit of a weird story, I guess. I, am, I actually wanted to be an engineer. Yeah. And I have a degree in chemistry. So... I was always fascinated by chemistry. I always liked the idea of being able to manipulate the elements and yeah. take different things and apply them and make new materials and do different things. Yeah. Um, and I actually was a couple of classes short of graduating with a chemical engineering degree. I mean, I've taken more math classes than probably any dentist ever would want to <laughs> chemistry classes. Zero, so I bet. Right. No, you're good. <laughs> Everyone goes and, and does biology, right? I did and stats then, or something. Yeah. That's pretty much yeah. So, <laughs> so anyways, um, so, you know, I'm sitting at home with my parents one day and basically we're having a conversation and 
they go, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I'm like, I don't really know if I want to do engineering. My dad was an engineer. Um, There's a lot of engineers in the family. I go, I don't really know if that is something I could make the most impact with. Mm -hmm. And I say impact. I'm a, I'm a millennial, man. I love the idea of impact. (laughs) (laughs) Away from that. But um, no, so anyway, so I was like, you know what? So we had a conversation, went back and forth. Mom, dad wanted me to be a lawyer. I thought I'd be a great lawyer whatever. I'm like, no, like what about, and I think my mom said, she was like, what about dentistry? Do you like mm-hmm. dentistry? And I go, yeah, I like that I'd be able to use my hands and their science. When I was a kid, I used to build models. Uh, you know, I used to build all these Lego, Legos. I'd play with the blocks. You know, yeah. I'd make everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, my mom's like, you're really good with your hands. Like, I wonder if that'd be something because it's also very scientific. For sure. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. So then I literally only applied to three dental schools. <laughs> and I actually had really good grades. Yeah. And I actually had a great dad score. But yeah. only one called back. That's not bad. Both one in three, I think most people think that. So I was like, I was at the, I think it was at the end of the application period. So there just wasn't as many. I was basically taking a shot at it. And I said, you know what? If it doesn't work out, I'll, yeah. I'll just try else, again. Right? Yeah. So Midwestern calls and says, hey, you know, we want to, you know, have you done for an interview? I go, perfect. So I fly down to Arizona. Mm-hmm. I had a great interview. Uh, and then I think it was like, Three or four months later, I got a call from um, the dean, and he's like, "Hey, I just want you know, like, be so happy to have you." And I'm like, "Holy crap! Like, I got into dental school. That's like, awesome. what just happened? You know?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love the idea of being able to help people in a scientific setting, but not necessarily just restrict myself to doing things in a lab. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, sure. But I was probably like one of like two or three kids that had a chemistry degree. Um, going into dental school. So I have a weird perspective of how I view dentistry. Uh, And you'll probably find that if you listen to my podcast or if you follow me on Instagram, you'll find that I'm always asking weird questions. Definitely. don't really like. (laughs) They're like, oh, it rubs me the wrong way that you're asking something like that. But at the same time, I don't know what it is. And that's why I'm bugged. Yeah. Uh, So that's kind of my story of dental school. Okay. So... um, you know, you go through dental school and, you know, it's a common theme like of the podcast um, that I like to ask guests is like sort of like, what was your vision like when you graduated and how have things kind of changed or deviated since when you graduated? Um, or did you know, like, you know, in fourth year when you're kind of wrapping things up and, you know, getting ready for graduation, entering the workforce that, uh, yeah, I want to you know pursue some material science stuff um, and be a clinician at the same time. Um, just talk me through that like mindset a little bit sure. and how things have changed a little bit for you. Or if it's been Gosh, like spot um, on. The first two years of dental school, I always in the back of my head really thought, gosh, um, there's not a lot of, you know, material science research going on here in dentistry. Yeah. Not to say that there's not great materials, but there's not a lot of research. So I kind of toyed with the idea, but you know what? I was in dental school, so busy, I wasn't thinking about it. Yeah. So third year rolls around and you know, uh, I was in a relationship that didn't work out. So then I ended up having all this time to myself. And I just thought, you know what I should do? I should find out everything I can about enamel and surface chemistry and everything about teeth. As you okay? do, yeah. So <laughs> After a <I> breakup. <laughs> yeah. So I literally spent, it was either StarCraft II or, yeah. it, was, uh, or it was this. Yeah. And I have this little book. I still have it. Okay. Yeah. And it's hundreds and hundreds of pages of just notes and it's chemical notes, equations, uh, looking at different things, different studies. I would take notes and stuff. So anyways, funny story, basically, you know, 
I kind of started talking to some of my professors and some of my colleagues. So, you know, my fellow dental students about some yeah. of the things I was doing and I didn't really get a very positive um, response. Maybe it was too soon. Maybe people were busy and they just didn't want to hear me out. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple of people that really thought what I was going for was interesting. Um, but for the most part, I was getting pretty discouraged because I'm like, oh, maybe no one really cares about this. Maybe there's nothing to it. Yeah. So then it's funny because I think it was like on a day I'd gone to class and I'm like writing my book and I'm not paying attention to what's going on in the lecture. Yeah. And one of my friends sits down and he's like, oh, well, more of an acquaintance at the time, but he sits down and says, what are you doing? What are you doing with that little book and what are you up to? Yeah. And I go, I, so I explained kind of what my ideas were. And he goes, what's holding you back from like continuing this? And I told him, hey, I'm discouraged. Like I talk to people and they don't really see the vision. Yeah. And he goes, how much money do you need to order some stuff to test some of these theories? And I'm like, a couple hundred bucks. So the next day he shows up with $300 cash. Yeah. Okay. And I'm That's doing awesome. stuff out of my apartment. All yeah. right. Testing stuff. You know, my cat's walking around looking at me like I'm, <laughs> Like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. like, and we just started testing some of this stuff. And um, that's kind of how my little materials thing started. We ended up um, um, finding out some really interesting things. I can't reveal just yet. Yeah. But basically, we found a couple of really interesting uh, results from some of the stuff I was working on. We started our materials company and we got a deal with a uh, manufacturer to pair, partner up. When, so when now, is this in the timeline? Is this like during dental school still? Or so, like? no, this is, so skip forward after dental school, about 2015, I applied for a patent application yeah. uh, to what I had worked on. And again, I had done some, uh, some testing myself and with my friend. Yeah. And then um, skip over to 2017, um, I ended up um, getting a great opportunity to work with um, uh, a manufacturer and they, they were really interested and said, Hey, we're willing to put the capital injection in Perfect, and yeah. we want you to work full time on some of this stuff. So that's what I've been doing ever since. Yeah. Um, so luckily it, it just kind of worked out for me and, uh, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm so at. You're, so you're kind of new from pretty early on in dental school. Like this is, this is like your path and this is your skill set That's pretty unique to you. And you're going to kind of pursue that. Um, is that person who like your acquaintance at the time, are they still involved in all this? Or? Yeah. So he's my partner. He's my so, first partner. So what, have, you t- have you asked him like what made him kind of approach you in the, like, the early stage and, and have that like trust or like, that's a good question. How did that um, kind of come about? It's funny because some people they're just kindred souls and there's really no way to quantify. Yeah. Um, but they just see the vision and they a get lot it. of people will not see your vision. And I, I always tell people, like, don't get discouraged. I had 30, 40 people tell me I was an idiot before someone picked, picked it up and said, dude, this is brilliant. Like, yeah. why haven't I heard of this? Like, you're working on something like this? Mm-hmm. And then being willing to, you know, take it to the next level and, um, you know, bring it to where it needs to be. Someone who can see that vision, there's not a lot of people in the world who, who can really take it from zero to hero. Yeah. And so sure. I needed someone like that to believe in me. And to this day, he's still really, really awesome and helps me with everything. So um, sometimes you just end up meeting the, I wouldn't say my other half, but my other half basically, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> in terms of the vision. That's cool, man. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, that's something that I always like think about. I mean, I always think I'm always like, you know, thinking of ideas and how to, 
do things a little bit differently. Like, like, like we were talking about a little bit in the pre sort of interview, like we're millennials and we have this like <laughs> rosy uh, lens. Yeah, yes. We want to make some impact in the world and like uh, have an impact on the profession and kind of do things a little bit differently and, and for the better. Um, sure. So what's your, I'm curious and this is something that I ask a lot of people as well is uh, like having vision is one thing. Um, not many people do, but a lot of people do have visions and have ideas and even great ideas. Um, but like the execution or implementation of these ideas is not always done, right? So a lot of people sure. come short or they quit before they get to that right. 41st, uh, 41st person who believes in them kind of thing. Right. Um, talk to me a little bit about like once you had that support, um, you know, a couple hundred bucks is not a big deal. I mean, you probably could have come up with that yourself, but where, how did you guys like take that, like, you know, living room experiment with the cat walking around to <laughs> find a company, like, uh, sure. collaborating with a you know, major manufacturer with some like serious capital behind you. Um, sure. this like that journey is pretty interesting for me. And I know a lot of young people who like listen to this, who have some cool ideas that may be outside the box. Um, there's not many like paved paths, like people can follow like this. So uh, if you sure. can talk, to about, talk to me a little bit about that, that'd be awesome. Sure. So, I mean, I think it all starts with being willing to be able to teach yourself things. Yeah. I think everyone expects university to teach them everything and then they're done. You have to literally set aside the time to teach yourself these things because no one's going to do it. I went through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles in the literature and literally just read stuff for yeah. like a year. Okay. Yeah. Then I was like, okay, what can I do better? Is there something I can improve upon that's existing? Obviously, there's plenty of room for improvement. We have a profession where we're kind of moving in the right direction in terms of that. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't so much that I needed the couple hundred dollars. I needed someone to believe in it. And yeah. you know what? It's so easy um, to get discouraged as a young person because you don't have a lot of experience and you maybe haven't had you've been no one's given you the chance to go to bat so you feel like oh maybe it's just not worth it there's plenty of people who are so brilliant who just to be honest get kind of insecure and they say gosh my idea is not worth it i say bullshit you listen to yourself don't let anyone else tell you your idea sucks okay because until you've actually gone through with it and done the work and seen if it's possible don't listen to anyone else i literally was blessed that the, the whole bit basically before I was about to throw in the, the towel that yeah. someone came and said, gave like, you a chance or believed in you. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I think it's more of the principle of like, you know, as humans and as millennials and young people, right. Um, you feel like you want other people to believe in it just as much as you do. Right. Yeah. And so when huge. you, yeah. yeah, when you hit a wall and you feel like, Oh, maybe it's not worth it. It's not because there's a problem with you. It's because there's a problem with other people and not everyone's going to see your vision, right? Yeah. Um, Got to bring this book up. <clears throat> it yeah, starts with sure. Why by Simon Sinek. Okay, yeah. Uh, if you're a millennial, you got to see it. He's huge, yeah. He's very, very big. He's, he's become a, a bit of a cult hero, I think, for millennials. So. Yes. Yeah. So um, he's right in a lot of ways. I yeah. mean, you really have to wake up and ask yourself every day, is this what I want to do and why do I want to do it? Um, and it's very easy to get discouraged. And I know I'm from a generation that was told, Hey, you can do anything. You can be anything. And you know, maybe the economy wasn't so great when I graduated and maybe there was a lot of problems and there's all, but I still, I still to this day believe that if you really work hard enough, you can get anything you want. 
that's you can great. do anything you want. Yeah, for sure. So that's kind of my take on that. As far as your second part of the question is how do you achieve that? Yeah. Um, basically read a bunch, teach yourself. Yeah. And then apply for intellectual property. <laughs> Get some intellectual property and yeah. then you'll get an instant deal with any manufacturer you want. Yeah. So it all comes down to understanding, spend the time, learn about intellectual property and how you can make something that other people can't. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how you secure intellectual property. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and you, you brought up a good point of, and I think a problem with like social media and especially like Instagram where, you know, we're both pretty active on there uh, is you always see like the before and after um, and you don't really see like what it takes or what the, the work that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like, a lot of people get discouraged. And I think millennials, I mean, I'm not immune to this. I'm the same way as like you expect results to come kind of quickly. Um, and sure. when they don't, you get discouraged and you kind of drop your head and you quit or you, you stop doing it but you don't realize like it. Yeah. Like, you know, you study papers for a year before it's not like you just kind of woke up one day and your buddy's sitting beside you. He's like, Hey man, what are you like working on that book? And that opportunity arose. Right. Correct. Uh, I mean, that's a huge, that's definitely a huge sentiment. And I think I even like myself, like I personally have to remind myself, like if you wake up and you like, look at your like download numbers, you're like, Oh man, (laughs) why am I even bothering with this? But like you keep the vision, keep the long-term view of where you're trying to get to and, and don't let little things like along the way kind of stumble and, and exactly. kind of stop like you from like achieving what you want to get into. That's awesome, man. So um, the next sort of section I want to get into a little bit with you, uh, obviously your, your main gig is material sciences and that's what you kind of do on a full-time basis. Um, yep. I know from our previous like discussions, like you do still practice clinically like a little bit as well. I do. I do. I do. Yeah. So I want, and I know, I mean, how I first, you know, how met you is, you know, from like some outstanding like comments, like in some of the stuff that I was posting, <laughs> like really like in depth and, and really like thoughtful. And like, I actually learned a lot from it. So that was pretty cool. Good, 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 um, good. So I wanted to touch on like adhesive dentistry and with you a little bit, cause I know obviously you have a unique perspective and understanding of the materials, whereas me and majority of people mm-hmm. read the manufacturer instructions. They're like, all right, so we'll just rub this that's for 10 fun. seconds, blow it for 10 seconds. And that's our understanding of it. Um, sure. So the, the first question I want to ask you is um, like, what are the like, top three things that about adhesive dentistry that new grads um, don't understand or should know? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Well, I'll start with one. And this is actually kind of interesting. Um, when I graduated, I was doing complete total edge. Yeah. And basically etching the dentin, etching the enamel, etching anything in sight, right? Like I need to get the best bond possible. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to like, you don't have to total etch very much. In fact, um, these self bonding systems are, be, are basically becoming superior. Um, it won't be long before they trump the uh, total etch systems. Uh, I believe we're on generation seven or eight now probably seven, yeah. maybe eight. It's hard to keep up with it all. Yeah. <laughs> but let's put it this way. Um, total etch systems are ideal for if you're looking at just enamel, but like recent reports in the literature are coming out basically showing that there's very close um, follow-up from the self-etch systems. Mm-hmm. And if you really look at the self-etch systems, it really comes down to a couple of things. Um, they're less likely to attract MMP recruitment and they're less likely to be broken down over the course. The bond strength over the course of three to five years is actually um, superior in some of these self-bonding systems. Okay. So you don't want to necessarily, selective etching is ideal. Now, if you're like me or you were like me when you graduated and you're so overwhelmed and you're just like, I'm just going to put all the blue stuff in the box. I'm yeah. just like, <laughs> it's still okay. It's still going to work. Yeah. Um, the thing that you have to be wary of is 
uh, and this is a concept that most dentists don't really understand. Um, how long, how long are you spending on rinsing out the etch and drying off the tooth? That's huge. Yeah. So, so two critical components and I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. Phosphoric acid is a strong acid, which means it dissociates 100%. Now, it's H3PO4, which means there's three hydronium ions, okay? Yeah. Which means it can potentially release acid three times. Most of the time, twice, but three times. Mm -hmm. um, if you do not rinse adequately, even if you've gotten most of the actual debris out, you know, the blue part, whatever, yeah it will linger in those tubules and cause sensitivity. Now, everyone's worried about C-factor. And C-factor is very important, but if yeah. you don't rinse out that acid etch properly, not only are you going to cause sensitivity, but guess what? Now you've set up an acidic environment where bad bacteria love to live. Yeah. So you got to be really wary of that. So I always tell people, be very generous with the water spray that you How long use. would you recommend? Like 20 10 seconds to, is adequate? 10, 10 to 15 seconds is adequate. Okay. But most okay. people only go for about two to three. Yeah, you just rinse to um, see the blue go away and you're like, okay. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, so the other thing, and you really got to think about this, a lot of people overdry their preps. Yeah. The second that you've overdried it, those collagen tubules collapse. And your hybrid layer sucks. Okay. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about debonding? Over drying is a huge problem. Okay. So, what I recommend to newbies is yeah. basically get a micro brush. And the way that you know that you've done enough drying is if you don't see any wetness coming off the micro brush. So, don't use use air spray to get the majority of it off yeah only a couple seconds and then take a micro brush and literally go over the prep until you don't see wetting anymore and that's the ideal amount of wetness that you need okay. um, you can also use a wetting agent like chlorhexidine if and i i like using just 0.12 percent is fine some people go as high as two percent you don't need to yeah um but uh that is also effective as a re-wetting agent, kind of plumps up those collagen tubules before you get the bond in. So you want the real answer is slightly wet. It's kind of like in a recipe where it's like, oh, I need a pinch of salt. What the hell is a pinch? <laughs> yeah. Right? But that's that's, that's what experience. <laughs> yeah. Correct. So, so um, that's what I go sorry ahead. to interrupt for that. Um, so after so you've etched, you've rinsed, you dry for like a little bit. Um, if you're using the chlorhexidine as a wetting agent, so you just apply that with like a, a micro brush or, yep. or a pellet. Yep. Um, yep. Do you then do anything like dry a little bit afterwards or that's it? Like that's ready. No, no. Once, once you've gotten it to the point and assuming we're all in a, we have a matrix band and it's all nice and fancy, yeah. right? Um, once you've dried it off and you're not seeing like it condensating at the end of that brush, then you've yeah. gotten enough wetness off. Okay. And I, I think that people are so concerned about isolation that they think any kind of uh, moisture is bad. That's true if it's saliva because saliva is going to get in the way. Mm -hmm. But, um, Basically, like I said, if it's just slightly moist, you're going to get a better bond. And you can read all the reports. I mean, this isn't the, I'm not saying something that's out of uh, line with what the manufacturers are saying, but people get so concerned about isolation, they dry that bad boy out. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, and then it's like, oh, why did it debond? Why did it break? It's like, okay, but here's the thing. That's not how bonding works, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So that's the one. So what else uh, would you recommend? Or people don't know that they should um I would say this, I would say, you know, as far as bond infiltration goes, um, and I guess this goes align with the moisture and stuff like that, bond is going to open up those tubules and displace whatever's there. 
So if there's no water or it's completely dry, it actually um, can make it more difficult for the bond to get a good adhesion and a good like entry point into those tubules. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would say is uh, maybe maybe this is something that not everyone uses, but I think it's important to note that um, basically when we're looking at caries detector, right? A lot of people on uh, Instagram are really big on caries detector. Yeah, the biomimetic guys. I, I'm not so much, and I'll tell you why. Uh, there's been some studies. I think there's only a 57% uh, repeatability. So yeah. in terms of precision, no, it might be accurate. And I don't know about you, but uh, light pink, lighter pink, kind <laughs> of pink, yeah. red, kind of red, that is too little of a distinction for me as a clinician to determine whether or not I should remove or not. Yeah. And let me tell you the second compounding factor that makes that difficult. As you get closer to the pulp, that caries detector is a certain micron size. Mm -hmm. So the tubules actually open up as you get closer to the pulp. Yeah. So you might get staining even if there's no decay. And it might stain heavily even though there's no decay. Yeah. So the closer you are to the pulp, the less you should use caries detector. And that's when people want to use caries detector. To make sure, so yeah. I'm going to take a controversial spin on this and just say, <laughs> if you don't know how to use it and it's not good in your hands, please do not use it. You will pop out uh, and you are more likely to remove more tooth structure. It's been studied. Um, biomimetics guys might hate me for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it's not a good adjunct. I just don't see the, the reliability. Um, it's been tested many, many times over. Um, so I, I just, I, that's kind of where I'm sitting with that. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I should mention. I think the one thing I should mention about, um, about when you're doing, and, and I, this is probably a more common thing. I don't know all the secrets, but um, yeah. <laughs> if you are spreading composite, right? Yeah. Everyone knows it's a more ideal to incrementally build something up. Not We don't all do it, okay? I've, I've done bulk fill and I've done um, you know, incremental. Yeah. Um, but here's a situation. If, if you're looking to get rid of that white line that we all hate and disgust ourselves with, yeah. don't use bond after you've placed the composite to spread the composite. Okay. Okay. Because well, really what you're saying. I do that. Yeah. 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 No, I, I do it from time to time too. Yeah. Just as, but if you want a perfect, beautiful filling that doesn't have that, that's actually the bond where you're seeing that margin. Okay. So um, what I recommend to do is just use at the end of your instruments so that you don't like get stickiness to the mm -hmm. bond, or I should say stickiness to the, um, the composite use a, a alcohol, and okay. just wipe off the instrument and it actually believe it or not works pretty well and it won't interfere with the bond so do you, do you have like a little alcohol thing and just dip it in like yep. between alcohol swab and i just put it on my instruments before and yeah it seems to really work um now depending on the situation you know i don't always do it but it seems to uh i haven't really had as many white lines and i i really don't like um, bond at my margins because bond has the least amount of filler. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I know the idea is to push the composite closer to the margin, but if you're filling that very edge of your margin with, um, bond, it's not going to, you know, it's going to be more likely to chip out and it's not as higher filler rate. So yeah. your adaptation is not as good. The shrinkage rate's higher. That That's kind of how I feel yeah, about it. That's pretty cool. And, yeah. uh, what's your thoughts on, uh, like desensitizing agents? 
Did so, it, is it like snake oil or is it actually like <laughs> I don't think it's snake oil. Um, I think that a lot of sensitivity and maybe, maybe you can call me out on this. I think a lot of sensitivity actually comes from over etching. Yeah. Um, I'm not even convinced it's from C factor. Let me tell you something. Everyone's so obsessed with C factor. I've used bulk fill and I've got similar results. I've only had two cases in the past four years that someone's complained about something like sensitivity afterwards. And that's not my only sensitivity case. What I'm saying is, is I look at it and it's a very small prep and there's a lot of wall and I'm like, okay, it's C factor. And the reason why I knew it was C factor yeah. is after I prepped it, I replaced it with an amalgam just for an IRM, just for like a week, just to see if it was or like a temporary and yeah. then the C, and then it went away because there was no bonding. Okay. Interesting. So yeah. I know for sure two of those cases were C factor, but the bulk fills are getting better. I'm not saying incremental will always be superior. Yeah. But there is a certain time that you have in your chair to get things done, and sometimes it's like, okay, would I rather have isolation and bulk fill, or would I rather spend That's a thirty really good one. Yeah. building? That's a good trade off to consider. Yeah. Right. So I, I think I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to build it up and spend 35 minutes. And then it's like, okay, this this uh, patient has saliva that's coming out the wazoo. Even sometimes rubber dams, that stuff can seep up, especially yeah. if it's a big filling, three spore surface. Now we're talking, I got to use a Toffelmeyer and then carve this back and then maybe yeah. use a garrison. I mean, it can get real mucky real yeah. quick. So, I think that's the thing with rubber dam too. It gives like a false sense of security. Like you yep. don't realize how much it could be leaking or I, yep. you just think like, Oh, it's on is good. But yeah, definitely need to keep an eye on things. Cause um, For sure. I was like perfect isolation. Um, exactly. So next thing I want to, I mean, we, we've already touched on it a little bit, but again, just cause you have such a unique sort of perspective on this, like from the material side of things and from a clinical side of things. And I know we've had this debate like numerous times, like everyone's had <laughs> Instagram. So what's like, if, if, so, if, uh, if you had to pick and you're, you open a practice and you have one bonding system protocol in place, Oh, uh, you're going to throw this on me. Yeah. What do you, what would you do? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> do you want my honest answer? Yeah. Okay. I would, I would probably do the SC bond universal system. I like okay. that the best. Um, I think prime and bond as two separate steps is still superior. It's more technique sensitive, yeah. but it still gives a better result. Um, that's what we're seeing in the literature. Now there's a lot of, you know, great Curare products. There's OptiBond. There's some great 3M products. There's ScotchBond, et cetera, yeah. Universal. I've used basically everything. Uh, I mean, I've been around the wheelhouse. Um, I really like OptiBond. I like OptiBond for enamel. Um, but I mean, I've used everything. Personally, my favorite is SE Prime and Bond. Yeah. Um, I think that's a fifth generation, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of fifth generation stuff. I just like it. It makes sense to me. Uh, I haven't you, had you any. Just like the vetch with this protocol still, or you just trust the, you just do SE? No, I, I keep, I keep, you know, look, I try everything so I don't discriminate. Yeah. I'm not saying one product is worse than the other or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. I just know it works in my hands. I've read the reports. Um, I know, like I said, Curare has got a lot of great products. They're very well studied. Um, 3M's got a lot of great products, very well studied. I just like SE Prime and Bond, that they work the best in my hands and I just haven't had any um, sensi post-op sensitivity. Yeah. Um, I end up with more sensitivity in the one-step systems. So yeah. I tend to reserve those for kids and when I need to get in and out, in and out. If I don't have time or if I know they're not gonna stay open or I know I'm not gonna get ideal isolation or you know per perfect results, I'm like, okay, the less time I have to spend in there, you know, I will, I will at least maintain my isolation. Yeah. 
Um, so and what about that's, yeah. that's is that like a like a Scotch bond? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Because doesn't it say for like Scotch, Scotch bond, bond, like it's even like slightly moisture tolerant and stuff? Like, yeah, I like Scotch bond. I mean, you got to remember at the end of the day, uh, you know, there's a lot of these products, um, and there's not too many. You know, it's like kind of comparing gasoline to gasoline. It's like, is the '87 better? Is the '89 better? <laughs> I mean, a lot of these companies have very similar formulas, and it's 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 not necessarily different technology yeah. so much as minor tweaks. Mm-hmm. So they're all really going to work as long as you follow the instructions. The real question is, is what works in your hands and what do you feel like works for you? Yeah. Now that's a very non-scientific answer. I haven't really found anything that has really said or jumped out to me and said, okay, this is better. I look at the reports. I think the, uh, the differences are marginal. I mean, we're talking five, 10%, more like 5%. Yeah. So statistically they're very close. Um, I do prefer the self-etching systems over the, um, you know, the total etch systems. But um, like I said, I I just, you know, I was taught to use SE in school. I have still kept all the reports. I still think it has, um, you know, the best results in my, in my hands. Um, I I like that system the best, but um, you know, I I don't know what you think about this, but uh, you know, as far as bonding goes, I feel like really it comes down to, uh, isolation. I feel like you're going to get a better result with your bond and a longer yeah. uh, lifespan out of your fillings if you have ideal isolation. Yeah. So I think that's more of a component than necessarily the quote unquote materials themselves. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense to you if I'm just spelling nonsense. No, but I think that I definitely agree with that. And I think that's why amongst like clinicians, you see definitely a trend to you know, like rubber dam for restorations or, yep. um, I mean, as good as you can, sometimes, I mean, not every dentist uses uh, rubber dam and they get great results with like isolate sure. or con rolls, whatever it may be. Right, 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 right. Um, but I think I that, is, that is a big factor. Like definitely the moisture, uh, can have a big effect on the bond. Um, and we're the same, like in Australia, I went to dental school down here. We, uh, were trained on like SE, mm-hmm. um, like prime and bond. Um, yep. and I just, I, you got that comfort zone, right. And you kind of trust it and it's worked. Yep. It hasn't like failed me yet. Knock on yep. wood. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's, that's pretty cool. I think I agree with that. I, I, I did use Scotch bond a fair bit though. One of my practices that I worked yeah, back, it's good. Uh, back in Canada. It works just fine. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, but it, yeah, the selective etch is nice. I like seeing the frosty kind of enamel. Oh yeah. Uh, like most of us do. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so next thing I kind of want to, uh, two kind of things before we move on to like next or section is, um, I know you like, obviously your podcast called biofilm. Uh, mm-hmm. You work with that kind of realm. So for dentists, um, I mean, I know young dentists, we're, we learn it now in school. It's like a thing that we're all um, endo, um, endodontic diseases, like biofilm, caries is biofilm, periodontal disease, biofilm. It's all uh, biofilm. What's your sort of like, if you can just give a brief summary of like what we don't understand about it, maybe like in a sure. clinical setting, like how it should impact our like decision-making and some treatment options, potentially that'd be awesome. Absolutely. So um, think about it like this, right? The biofilm is an opportunistic organism. And I say it's an organism because it's a collective bacteria. If you look at the bacteria on your skin or, you know, maybe, uh, you know, other places, maybe a doorknob, that's not a biofilm. They're individual bacteria that are hanging out. Doesn't mean there can't be a biofilm there, but it's it's a lot less likely. Mm-hmm. Those bacteria might be able to eliminate them with an alcohol swab or, or, or something, you know, just a cleaning agent. Okay, the bacteria in your mouth that have formed a biofilm, which is basically uh, a collective home where they've come together and they've pooled their resources. It's their community, yeah. and they are going to take every 
bit of energy and nutrients they can out of that system. And guess what? We are the host, right? And you almost have to view it like a parasite. It is trying to survive in our mouth. Um, I think the thing that a lot of people don't understand is the science is very new. Uh, We don't have a total, we have an understanding of, Hey, this bacteria does this and this bacteria does that. Yeah. There. Okay. We, we have great microbiologists. We haven't studied um, a lot of the interface between enamel and plaque. And I say this not because we don't know that bacterial shifting doesn't occur, but a lot of people have never heard of this plaque fluid. Have you ever heard of plaque fluid? No. Okay. So plaque fluid is really interesting (laughs) stuff. Yeah. For some reason, we kind of like lost the research arms that kind of started looking into this in you know the early i think it's like 60s 70s and 80s and probably even into the 90s mm-hmm. so plaque fluid is the fluid that actually contacts the enamel surface and it is the interface between plaque and enamel so it is where all of the interesting and relevant disease processes ion exchange and everything that causes decay periodontal disease tissue attachment, all this, it is the literal most important fluid that we can diagnose and understand and build our understanding of biofilms from, yet no one is looking at it. So this is how you extract biofilm, I should say plaque fluid. You take plaque, you spin it, you you put it in mineral oil, and you spin it down in a centrifuge at 14,000 RPM about 15 minutes at negative four degrees C. Ask me how I know. I've done it a lot of times. Um, And it will give you this weird fluid that you've never seen before. And you're like, what the hell is going on? And it's very interesting. This fluid actually reveals a lot of what's going on because the ions um, are actually, I don't know if you've heard of this concept, degree of saturation. Does that ring a bell from dental school? Yeah. So degree of saturation is this idea that there is always an equilibrium between your plaque, saliva, and your your tooth, so your enamel, your dentin. Yeah. So here's what happens. You have this really interesting fluid that has a lot of biological information in it, everything from immune factors to calcium levels, phosphate levels, um, you know, acetate levels, um, certain ions, sodium, magnesium, zinc, um, strontium, all sorts of different things that are available. And let me tell you, you might have a patient that has great saliva, but because the biofilm is so opportunistic, if you start looking at their plaque fluid, and so like, let's say you have a great a patient, their saliva is pH 7. Um, oh, doc, I always get decay. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Then you start looking at their plaque fluid and their bacterial types. Holy crap. There is so many things going wrong in this plaque fluid. Uh, the bacterial types are all over the place. You know, they have an opportunistic situation. Saliva cannot remedy everything. And saliva is great, but if you don't have enough of it, or there's not enough mineral content, or you're deficient in this or this or this, or if your diet sucks, you're not going to have a salivary gland that A, secretes enough or secretes high quality stuff. But even if it did, (laughs) there's still a chance, a minor, that some of these bacteria uh, grow, shift, and change the platform that interacts with our teeth and our tissues, and it causes all sorts of damage. I mean, we're talking everything from implant failure, periodontal disease, um, bad breath, uh, gingivitis, um, decay, 
demineralization, enamel substitution. I mean, there's so much going on. So you probably opened a bigger question than you That's thought. You were no, now my mind's back. I'm like, is, how do I follow this up? So, yeah. okay. So, I mean, obviously this is a, you're coming at this from a material side of things and I want to kind of sure. uh, bring it back to like applicable clinical. Sure, 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 sure. So how, like in terms of all this research that's going on and, you know, you or your other people may be working on this uh, plaque liquid, biofilm liquid, plaque liquid? <laughs> plaque fluid. <laughs> plaque fluid. Plaque fluid. Plaque, plaque fluid. How do we, how far are we from some sort of chair side tests um, to determine if it's good or bad or if it's something that uh, is um, going to be an impact on the patient's like oral health? We're working on it. Um, I think it. I think the the two major things is uh, we need to be doing what we can do right now, which is pH testing, mm-hmm. um, and that's stimulated saliva flow and unstimulated. Uh, you can get pH strips. You can pick them up um, even on Amazon. I'd recommend to do it for your patients who are high risk to at least show them, hey, look at your pH. Yeah. The second thing is is um, there's a great subset of tests from a company, at least in the States, called uh, Oral DNA. They're not the only company, but they have a great set of subset of tests yeah. that are available to show you the kinds of bacteria that you have. Um, biofilm testing, the problem with it right now is it's expensive. So unless you were to get insurance reimbursements, um, you know, not everyone's going to be me and buy the $25,000 centrifuge and yeah. you know, actually look at it and send it to a lab and test it or yeah, buy the sure. microelectrodes. It's not practical. It. Yeah. No, no, but it will become practical at a point in a, at a certain point. Cause here's, what's going to start happening. We're going to start testing this stuff and we're going to start realizing, Oh yeah, by the way, you know, in patients that have pancreatic cancer, we notice a six-fold increase in this type of oral bacteria and also this type of, you yeah. know, um, you know, ion content in the plaque fluid. And then you start seeing correlations to it, and then boom, now you're gonna have the incentives. So uh, there needs to be more research that's done, and I'm probably one of the few people that's actually working on this. Um, but I know, and I'll just, I'll just answer it for you. Your next question is how the hell do we apply this stuff, right? How the hell do we apply it? So what I do is I actually, people don't really know what I do. Everyone's like, what do you do, Ryan? I'm like, I don't even know what I do. Just kidding. (laughs) So, um, I study nanomaterials. So I have a background in nanomaterials. I'm a chemist. Um, I really got interested in the properties of nanomaterials because, um, they can get places where other things can't. They have lower resistance rates. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use less of them, so higher bang for your buck. They have the potential to be made highly biocompatible, unlike some of these things that we're currently using, which would be chlorhexidine, gluconate, and uh, acetylpyridinium chloride, which actually, even though you think they're biologically friendly, um, they have a lot of downsides. They're not as biocompatible as you think. In okay. fact, 5.25% bleach <laughs> are, is actually more biocompatible than chlorhexidine. Really? Yes. Um, And so if you actually do start looking at the cytotoxicity testing, and again, it's in vitro, um, but uh, if you actually start looking at how it affects different cell lines, a lot of what we have, they're they're like biomassacres. They may as well be antibiotics in terms of how much they kill. Mm -hmm. I want something that kills the bad stuff, keeps the good stuff, has high resistance. You don't need a lot of it. And uh, it just is a better delivery platform overall. Yeah. So, why nanomaterials? Obviously, there's some advantages there. Um, I can't go into all of what I've worked on because we're still in the process of publishing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but here's what I can tell you about some of the nanomaterials that I have. No side effects. And they're not going to give you taste changes or stain your teeth. And they don't compete with calcium activity 
in the mouth. Yeah. Now, let me tell you something about chlorhexine you probably didn't know. Chlorhexine is a pH of 3.7. Okay, so it's, it's pretty acidic. Have you heard of this concept called substantivity? Yeah. It's, so basically, for those of you listening, who don't know what substantivity is. Substantivity is basically the attachment of molecules, maybe the adhesion, um, the adsorption of molecules to enamel surfaces, um, which can give them a longer lasting effect in the mouth. Well, we're starting to realize that that substantivity comes with a cost. And that cost is it actually interferes with calcium delivery to the tooth and subsequently remineralization processes, Yeah, which is a big problem because guess why you're prescribing chlorhexine a lot of the time? High decay risk. Yeah. So if we interfere with those processes, so again, this really circles back to there's better options. I'm working on those options. But the real thing that's beautiful about nanomaterials is – we now have options where I can start manipulating how your plaque grows, what ion contents are getting into the plaque, and how your, how your biofilm develops over a set time frame. Yeah. And I can start controlling it, and then I can test to see if it's controlled instead of guessing at whether or not it's controlled. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah so it's nutty stuff. It's nutty <laughs> stuff. It's cool, you know, though. I mean, I, like to um, zoom out a bit, I'd like – um, I was reading like, uh, you know, like the book, like sapiens and like homo, uh, deus, um, like in the homo deus in that chapter, it does a chapter on like healthcare. He talks about, um, how like in the 21st century, we're shifting towards preventative over yeah. like treating disease. Um, and Correct. this is like obviously like perfectly in line with that. Um, Correct. so I mean, I mean, this stuff is like, it's like ambitious goals <laughs> that you're working on and I'm sure like you're closer to it, um, than many people would think. Uh, we're, we're getting close, my man. We're getting. So it's pretty gonna close. be like a game changer. I'm interested. In, like, yes, it could. It'll change everything. Like, if you can, it's like quote unquote, like cure caries through this uh, or periodontal disease or gingivitis or obviously if seeing, in the next level, even if like systemic stuff is linked and yeah. that that can be controlled a little bit. Um, that's pretty exciting stuff. Here's the vision: have someone rinse with something or suck on something instead of taking an antibiotic before they're, you know, scaling a root plane yeah. or, you know, now we're giving this to kids and we're seeing a, you know, 30, 40% reduction in caries rate by the time they hit adulthood. So it's all about preventatives and, and everyone, you know, I think everyone forgets this. Okay. There's this famous quote by GB black in 1896, I believe it was where he says to a graduating class one day, and I'll paraphrase, because I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> One day, we're no longer going to do restorative endpoint treatment. We're going to do prevention. And that will be a great day. And, you know, this was over 100 years ago, and we're yeah. still not there. We're still using the same old, same old. People aren't looking into actually looking at the biofilm and seeing if we can manipulate how it works. Because we're never – look, a – Antibacterial agent is never going to by itself be as good as mechanical plaque removal. Yeah. And we can't, we can't replace a toothbrush and floss, but what we can do is we can influence the plaque and we can influence the types of bacteria that are there that yeah. cohabitate this world with us and select for the better bacteria so that we as mammalians and mammalian species have the advantage at all times so, you know, these diseases which bad biofilms cause are less likely to occur. So, so that's, that's really what I'm looking at. Uh, you know, I'm a bit of a mad scientist, I guess. I, I'm hoping for the best. 
Um, we're going to continue doing the research and uh, hopefully we're seeing promising results. It's not systemically reviewed. I don't want to lie to everyone and say, hey, you know, I got the cure. Uh, but I, I'm going to continue studying stuff and yeah. um, we want to have the best studied stuff out there. So, Do you know if there's like other people doing this? Not that I know of. I wish there was. I know there's people that are looking at nanomaterials and composites. Yeah. Um, but as far as prevention agents, there's been minimal work done on it, but there's not a lot of work done with actually incorporating the biofilm components. So like actually looking at metrics, people aren't doing that. They might say, oh, great, you know, I killed some bacteria in a you know, jar or a Petri dish. Yeah. That's great, but you really need to look further than that. You need to look to see if it corrects the pH. Are we seeing uh, more buffering capacity in the saliva and the plaque fluid? Are we seeing ion changes? Are we seeing bacterial contaminants go down? Are we seeing immune system function changes? Are we seeing a lot of these factors go down? So it, it's a lot of these things that are associated with disease, whether it be type 2 diabetes or, or something else, right? Yeah. It all comes down to how your immune system uh, it starts reacting to the kind of bacteria and insults that it has. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to see exaggerated responses in some of these diseases. But the, the perfect case studies to study because you can see how it impacts someone who's already in a disease state, right? Yeah. But anyways, yeah, that's that's basically what we're working on. And it's it's really cool stuff. And, that's uh, deep, that's, I mean, that's, that's incredible. I think um, that, that, I mean, 99% of us don't even think about this stuff <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, let alone like comprehend like much of it. But um, I think you just opened a cool window if people are listening and it's just to, something to think about for sure and like digest a little bit. And yeah, definitely keep an eye out to see where, where things go. Like it's exciting what you're working on. So uh, it, can sure. it can definitely change the profession. It can change healthcare, this kind of technology going forward. So that's pretty cool. We'll see. We got to start looking for other jobs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> get ready to get nano, guys. Get yeah. ready to get nano. It's coming. It's coming. We're coming to dentistry. So yeah, that's cool. We'll so it's, it's interesting that like it can be incorporated into materials, like restorative materials, and it can be added as an exogenous thing that you like you rinse or um, yep. use to control like existing work. So um, it can help our success rate on our treatment, which is cool too. Exactly. So if you look at it from that perspective, then um, then that's awesome. Perfect. Um, so we talked talked about it a little bit. I want just from the dental material side, I know it's not exactly what you're doing, um, but I'm curious to see sort of from your like industry understanding or whatever you're working on or um, conversations you've had with other people. Sure. Um, where is like dental materials trending towards um, in the next like five years, 10 years kind of thing? Are we just trying to get better at what we're using or are we, is there a new stuff on the horizon? Like replacing like a composite type material or um, just, I mean, I have no idea myself. I'm just seeing sure, if sure, sure. anything different or what, um, you, what you might know. I think, I think there is a lot of changes coming up and I think people are going to be surprised. Um, I don't think that a lot of the technology that we have, it's very hard to make improvements on because we are at a point, especially with like composite yeah. where we're making marginal improvements on it. You know, maybe we see 1% less shrinkage here, 2% less shrinkage there. Yeah. But I mean, we're pretty capped out on that tech. Um, we're going to see a lot more changes to zirconia based restorations. I feel like okay. um, there's been a lot of people playing around with hybrid materials. Um, so trying to get really good translucency, but also high strength. Yeah. Um, you know, I do feel like we're going to see some, uh, improvements in bonding specifically, you know, my, my group of research, like I said, with nanomaterials is we're going to start incorporating, um, 
some of these nanomaterials into bonding agents, into cements, things like that. So we're going to start seeing um, better um, long-lasting restorations. Um, I'd like to take the time to point out something that a lot of people may or may not talk about. Sure. I mean, maybe you can agree with me and I'll just, just let you know or just tell you this. Um, yeah. Are you frustrated with the fact that amalgams last longer than composites? Oh, for sure. Right. You're frustrated, right? Yeah. But let me ask, and, and you, we can both agree on this, but I mean, once amalgams fail, they fail catastrophically, whereas composites don't usually. Is that, would that be a fair statement? Usually they like fail. Like for the remainder of the tooth, you mean? or like, so like, Let's say you wrote it out. You see all these craze lines and fracture lines on this tooth. Yeah. And, you know, patient, and most of the time you tell the patient, hey, you should probably crown this or put an onlay on or something, right? Yeah. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. And then six months later, they come in and the tooth is like, what happened? Like yeah. the buccal wall's gone, the lingual yeah. wall's gone. There's yeah. a little piece of mesial like still hanging out. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? So in that sense, yeah. 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 So amalgams last a long time. But if you actually cut a tooth, if, if I want you to do this for me. Next time you extract a tooth in amalgam, I actually want you to like, cut it in half and I want you to look at the amalgam adaptation and I want you to compare it to a tooth that's extracted with composite. Mm -hmm. And if you actually zoom in, if you have great loops or you have a microscope, yeah. um, the amalgam adaptation is actually quite poor. Mm -hmm. It actually is not so good, but these restorations last and last and last and last. And I'm talking about this, the marginal seal. Yeah. And we all know about, you know, amalgam creeping and stuff like that. The reason why amalgams last longer than composites is because there is a chemical interaction that we don't understand so well, but it's something that I study. Um, and if you actually look at composites, their physical adaptation is superior in every shape, point, and form yeah. to amalgams. So why is it that an amalgam which has an opening that when you zoom in on it, looks like a truck could drive through it, <laughs> yeah. and then a, a composite which looks like there's not even like a, a bicycle could get through, yeah. but the composite fails sooner at the marginal adaptation. So it really comes down to surface chemistry. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, and I know these guys in biomimetics, and you know, I, I tend to think I like to think that I'm, you know, in the community of biomimetics, I like yeah. to think I'm like that. I might not be after this interview. Uh, but <laughs> like um, that band's coming. <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're like, oh, Ryan, really sorry. We're, 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 you know, um, amalgam in terms of chemically is more biomimetic than composite. And people are going to just drop their jaws when they hear that from me. Yeah. The reason is, is if you actually look at the surface charge of enamel, it's negative. So the surface charge of enamel, if there's a phosphate backbone, it's constantly emitting a charge. And that charge uh, is what basically prevents or attracts certain ions and bacteria and all sorts of things. Composite has this huge Achilles heel. It has no charge, zero. It is a net neutral charge. Yeah. Whereas amalgam has a fantastic charge because it's got all sorts of metals. Mm -hmm. So the margin is actually protected by an invisible electromagnetic field. And yeah. you don't see that, but most bacteria cannot enter or exit through that field without experiencing some sort of damage. Interesting. Not to mention there's release of oxides and, and metal oxides that end up blocking those tubules. So you might get this old, nasty-looking amalgam, and you open it up, and it's got a dark spot, and it's hard as rock. That will never yeah. happen with composite, hardly yeah. ever. So just keep that in mind. I mean, I feel like 
um, adhesive dentistry needs a couple of those surface chemistry additions, yeah. and we can use nanomaterials to edit those composites, which in my opinion are superior in every way with that exception, change the surface charge, and we're going to start seeing that they last as long as amalgams. That'd be huge, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. So it comes down to that charge, and that's like as simple as, do you think that's like that simple? I think it really is. I, yeah. I really do. I think that there's a couple of variables to consider. I think pH-based charge and uh, electron density of um, the enamel or replacement um, tooth uh, or tooth material, whether it be composites or amalgam or whatever, gold, doesn't matter. You have to mimic not only the shape and form, but also the surface chemistry. And unfortunately, composite still falls pretty weak on the ladder yeah. as far as a chemical component. It might have an excellent physical seal, but it suffers from a uh, chemical seal that, that we're going to see in gold, silver, um, and even, just to be honest, Emacs and Zirconia both have a charge, okay. whereas, whereas composite does not. Why is that? Why is, is it just... So, the, so they don't have a fantastic charge, but they're more yeah. like glass. So if you look at okay. glass, glass is a, uh, it's kind of like this weird thing. And I have to actually draw it out for you, but it's got a couple of, um, looks a little bit like water a little bit, but it's got these oxygen atoms that kind of branch out like this. They kind of look like um, um, little sticks coming out. Yeah. And so it's got a weak charge, but um, glass tends to be um, partially charged which is why you, if you put something in it that is charged, eventually you're going to see a film on the side of a glass beaker. And that's why. Whereas in plastic, you're not necessarily going to see that. So plastic has its advantages. Yeah. Um, but the other thing with, with the, the disadvantage of not having a chemical component to kind of projecting um, this charge into solution, because our mouths are never dry, is yeah. that um, you you tend to see more attachment in the rough areas in, in these micro porosities. So it's actually easier for biofilms to attach to and to enter uh, areas which are not well sealed or um, which don't have charge. So you actually, you're relying 100% on the enamel, which you bond to, to provide that charge density to prevent some of that chemical or seepage or whatever. Yeah. So but composites are great. And obviously isolation is a big deal and obviously seal and roughness are a big deal. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the worst thing that you can do, believe it or not, especially these sub G restorations is doing this like windshield wiper effect where you're like, Oh, I'm just going to clean up this class five with this wonderful carbide burr or something <laughs> kind of rough. And then it's literally like a safe haven for bacteria. They can just be like, I'm going to colonize there. And, you yeah. know, so, so again, I guess that just gets finishes my point that, um, Composites, I think where we're going to see improvements is altering the surface chemistry. And I feel like that will be a big deal for, um, for longevity. Cool. And how far do you think we are from that? Five to 10 years, I think. Okay. Interesting. That'd be cool. That's, that's within our career. So we'll have. Yeah, no, I think it yeah. will. I think it will happen. Um, the big challenge right now is um, there's obviously stability issues with getting things into different materials. Yeah. Um, we're working on that. We've had a lot of success. Uh, modifying different materials to make them more stable, especially in the mouth. The mouth is very harsh conditions. Yeah. The other thing is, is composites are beautiful. How do we inject some of these clinical impurities that might give it a better chemical defense uh, and, and you know better charge properties, but um, don't alter the look. So that's that's what we're working on right now. I mean, I, I have a couple projects we're working on. Um, yeah. You know, modifying existing materials. So I'll keep you posted. 
That's awesome. Perfect. So that was, that was pretty, I'm sure a lot of people find that pretty interesting. And um, it's like a unique perspective for sure. Cause it's not, I mean, my chemistry <laughs> ended in like fourth year, of, like in first year of undergrad, <laughs> like, I was like, right, that's done. <laughs> Took Good off the, uh, the prerequisite and then I'll move on. Awesome, man. So uh, obviously you're doing a lot of cool things. You recently came out with your own podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the biofilm factor, your first episode just came out, I think it was la- earlier this week or uh, late last week. And I had to listen to it with uh, Stephen Lynn, uh, the dental diet. He's Australian as well. It's pretty cool. Yeah, he's got some good Australians doing yeah. podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you want to just, uh, you know, we'll finish off, just talk about that a little bit. Um, sort sure. of like what your the goals are with the podcast, where you hope it goes. And then definitely I'll put a sh- uh, you know, link in the show notes as well for the listeners to check it out if they haven't heard about it. Oh, for sure. Uh, it's a great, definitely like very, like, like I was telling you earlier, it's really well produced, <laughs> and, uh, really I good content that. value. So I'm sure people will love it. So if you want to say, I talk about that a little bit and uh, where you hope to take the podcast sure. um, and then we'll go from there. So I think that um, the podcast is, is more of a pet project. It's something I've always wanted to do. Um, I don't think a lot of people are talking about prevention and I think there's a really big gap uh, in knowledge and approach to how do we make the next generation of preventative agents. And we need to take an outside look and we can't just keep saying, Oh, here's some fluoride. Here's some fluoride. Hope for the best. Yeah. Um, we don't understand even to a large degree, if even some of these reactions that we're using fluoride or even the pH that we're using the fluoride at, or even the delivery systems are even all that effective. And, and we have to look at it, not from the perspective of a study um, where we're looking at a population, but as an individual thing. So for some people that fluoride, maybe that's not as effective as another agent, depending on the kind of bacteria they have or the kind of pH they have. Sometimes you want to look at it from the perspective of the individual instead of looking at a collective result. Um, And I'm not saying I'm a big fan of fluoride. I'm not an anti-fluoride guy. I think that people who are anti-fluoride are a joke. Um, Don't, don't hate on something that's worked for however many years. Right. So I'm not saying that I just want more alternatives for people who, A, maybe that treatment isn't the best option, or maybe there's not as high of an efficacy rate, or maybe we just try and get people on something that, um, you know, just period, just get something on something that they might use. Um, and so we're, we're, we're looking into that. But, but the big thing with the podcast, too, is I want people to understand that, that uh, the importance of educating individuals on their diet, on how they approach their own health, and what the oral systemic uh, risks are for if you don't take care of, you know, your oral health, what, what, what can that affect? What kind of organ systems can that affect? Yeah, what kind of parts of your body is that affecting? Um, does it affect your lifespan, how you develop? So I'm trying to get a bunch of um, different specialists, um, different researchers, doctors, people who have written books and, and just talk to them about, hey, like what can we as individuals do to improve our odds of not getting disease or not spreading disease or, or even just controlling our risks for disease? Um, and so I really think it's more of like just trying to get some of that word out there and trying to spread the knowledge. And, um, you know, the end goal would just be for people to just listen. Um, it doesn't have to be your favorite show. I mean, I hope that you learn something. I'd be happy if someone's like, I listen to that and I feel like I got to see like out of it, you know, like maybe not an hour C, but like, just like, Hey, like, you yeah. know what? I feel like I can take that and I can take that to my patient 
you know, that I saw last week and I can tell them, Hey, you know, maybe try that xylitol rinse, or maybe, maybe you should be looking at the amount of fiber content you have in your diet because that can affect your gut health. And then as a result, your oral health. I mean, there's so many different links that we talk about. Um, but I think it's all about trying to get dentists to start applying some of these situations to their practice and trying to, honestly, we all want to be better clinicians. So start with prevention. I mean, if you start looking at prevention and you really start digging into it and and look, you don't have to get as gimmicky as being super holistic or, Hey, you know, this, uh, you know, coconut oil is going to cure cancers or it's, I'm never going to eat disease again. That's not what it is. That's not what it's about. It's not gimmicky. It's like, okay, what can I do to change my odds of, of, you know, getting decay or perio or even just getting me to a dentist or getting something done. So I, I'm just trying to get people to really think about their oral health and how that affects their systemic health as well. That's pretty cool. And I think um, that's something that as dentists, a lot of us maybe lose sight of or don't focus on the preventive thing, especially with, I mean, maybe a little bit different from like country to country like with you know North America, Canada and the U S having such a like strong hygiene sort of infrastructure in place they oh, kind of for sure, that, for they, sure. they've kind of assumed that role of like preventative and we're just drill and fill and fix right so we're endpoint um, treatment yeah end exactly point. so most dentists don't even and i i mean i for myself like i'm speaking on my for myself don't talk to patients about that kind of stuff at all pretty much right, which, right, which right i hope right, to right. change um so i think that's really cool i think it's, it's gonna open a lot of um open a lot of windows for people to like think about these options and see what they can do with it. Um, so is your podcast, do you think a general population would benefit from it as well? Or is it aimed Absolutely. towards mostly like clinicians and dentists? And um, and it's aimed towards both. I would say more probably towards clinicians, Yeah, but I have had people message me and say, uh, you know, thank you so much for posting this. I had no idea. It's not like you get to sit there and get nutritional counseling from your dentist. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe we should be talking about whether or not insurance should start reimbursing for that. Because the truth is, is that, you know, people come to see the dentist more often than their doctor. Yeah. And, and, and you really have to take that into account, right? Because if you gave them a piece of information that's going to change the outcome of their uh, likelihood for disease, or if you're preventing an issue, maybe maybe they have a high risk for heart disease or atherosclerosis, and you really kind of get them to clean up some some of these aspects. And look, I'm not saying it happens in one visit, but you're yeah. going to visit your dentist probably more often than any other professional that you see. Mm-hmm. So we need to start incorporating some of these things and thoughts into our practice models instead of just targeting endpoint treatment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I, I think that even as a lay person, you could really benefit from listening. Um, and we're talking about some hot topics and some of it's going to be controversial and you might not agree with me on anything. Yeah. I might get some nasty <laughs> notes on Instagram after this. Yeah. Hey, I don't agree with you. That's fine. I want you to disagree with me because it starts a conversation. Yeah. As long as it stays civil, I am so happy if someone's like, hey, doc, I don't agree with you. And here's why. And then I'll be like, okay, but let's go deeper into the rabbit hole and actually start asking these questions. Cause then it brings up a conversation that we can all kind of benefit from yeah. in, in my opinion. That's awesome. So it's all about keeping the conversation open and, you know, uh, I think that's, that's kind of what it's about. Yeah. I think that's perfect. I think uh, we brought up a good point there, especially with the commenting and, and positive discussion. I think that's a problem that a lot of dentists, uh, not so much on Instagram, definitely on Facebook. There's so many like pages and groups and stuff that are like so toxic. Like someone posts like a oh, clinical picture toxic. and it's like, what, like, what's the benefit of like, who benefits from you just coming here and trolling this guy for like yeah. not using a rubber dam for something instead right, of like right. having a informative discussion or constructive feedback or something. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping 
with the millennials, at least I know that like, the older generation kind of is pretty set in their ways. Uh, the sure. millennials like have a more like um, collegial environment where we can like support each other a bit better and oh, for and sure have, like, positive feedback and, and conversation instead of just attacking and and pointing fingers and saying I'm better or you're doing it wrong kind of thing. So um, exactly. I think it's a great project. I think uh, a lot of people will value, uh, get a lot of value from it. So definitely. Uh, Check it out if you're listening to this. Uh, the Thank you. Factor. I'll put a I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Um, so what I'll finish off with um, something I've been doing for the past few episodes is a quick little rapid fire. <laughs> it's been a pretty uh, dense podcast, so we'll try and uh, line it up a little. No, for sure. Okay, okay. Let's, um, let's hear. All right. So, what's your favorite oral bacteria? Uh, P. gingivalis. Yeah. Okay. Why is that? Just because of the name or what it does? Or- uh, no, because it causes so many immune issues and we're yeah. starting to realize it, it kind of sucks. Okay, nice. Uh, what is your favorite uh, clinical procedure to do? Uh, my favorite clinical procedure would probably be uh, on layer crown. Okay. It's, nice. it's fun. And is it, are you like an Emacs guy or? Uh, Emacs, uh, second premolar and up. Yeah. And depending on the individual, maybe first molar and then always second molar, almost always two zirconia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what is uh, your favorite dental material? Favorite dental material? Oh, gosh. Um, I'd probably say RMGI. I'm not a sucker for yeah. RMGI. I'm gonna, it's classic and it's yeah. old, but I love it. So it's yeah. crazy. With the, with the glass onomers, I, I mean, in Australia, it's huge. Uh, we use yeah. it a lot um, in dental school and like even in private practice. Uh, yeah. In Canada, like no one uses it. It's interesting. I I put it, most offices don't even have it or don't right. even like, apart from like a Iona seal, which has like GI in there, but like um, as a restorative material, even interim or a bit more long-term kind of thing, it's not used at all, which is, I found it yep. quite interesting, the contrast. Um, so what's your uh, like top one or two or three, depending how many you got, I don't want to put you under the spot here. Um, things that you would tell yourself, um, on the graduation day. Now, if you can go back, <laughs> don't beat yourself up too hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> keep trying and, uh, and don't worry about your student loans. It's all going to work out. Still <laughs> waiting on that third one to pan out. Very applicable to yeah. most people. I think. <laughs> awesome. And you're and the last one. I've asked this a few other people as well as, uh, what is your favorite pizza topping? Oh gosh, man, you're killing me. I'm going to go with bacon. Uh, bacon. The Canadian in me says Canadian bacon, but yeah. I do like <laughs> for you Australians and, and Europeans, it's streaky yeah. bacon, but regular yeah. Americans, it's just bacon. So yeah, bacon, bacon. We'll go encompassing bacon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Dr. Ryan Nolan, thank you so much uh, for coming hey. on the podcast. It was a great chat. Thanks again, man. Uh, looking forward to your stuff. Um, I'll post the link to your podcast and your Instagram page and everything. So if people have uh, questions hopefully they can reach out to you on there and for sure uh, they get a lot of value from interacting and learning from you feel free to message me if you have any questions if you disagree with me if you feel like just messaging me because you want to understand something or if you're looking for more information or you just want to tell me to have a nice day that's fine you can message me um i'm a ryan nolan dmd and then i also have my show which is the biofilm factor which again thank you for all the shout outs i really appreciate it and uh hey man Thanks for having me on the show, and uh, uh, I hope to be back. Awesome! Yeah, we'll have you once you release your first nano particle <laughs> before the IPO goes out. Let us know. So yeah, exactly. You're hilarious. <laughs> Make a few dollars to pay off our student loans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Awesome. I appreciate. It. Yeah.